Hi besties, welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to be here with you. And today we have a topic that's a little dark. It's a little dark. We're gonna talk about the shadow side of real estate. I think uh, one of the reasons many women do not see themselves as real estate investors is because they have a negative image of what it means to be in real estate in general. And this is really common because real estate is what we call a negative reputation industry. Real estate agents are grouped in with salesmen, car salesmen, or telemarketers. And those types of salesmen or women are pests at best. And at their worst, they are harassers. They're people who get on your nerves, people who pester you, won't leave you alone. Another real estate villain that is well known is the slumlord. You buy rental property and to maximize your profits, you don't spend money on that property. You don't do repairs and you hear horror stories of tenants that are living in subpar conditions, you know, no heat, no water, pests, rodents. You don't want to be that. So if you've had an experience like that in your life, if you've known someone who's been a victim of a slumlord, then you may have some blocks, even just in subconscious, in your subconscious mind around what it means to be a landlord. And what if I'm a slumlord? What if I don't have enough money to keep my property up to the standards that it should be kept up to? Because each of these real estate villains could also be a subconscious block where you feel that you're at risk of becoming that character. You've witnessed something that puts a bad taste in your mouth in regards to real estate and you don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to become that. And so therefore you don't want to invest in real estate. Another of our real estate villains is just the heartless, money hungry, greedy person. We talk about a lot of different methods of real estate investing in this podcast and in the Investy Besties course. We talk about being a landlord, owning multiple units, multifamily. We talk about flipping property. We talk about wholesaling real estate. We talk about short-term rental, Airbnb, arbitrage. And in all of those methods, one of the key ways to make money is to find off-market property. And sometimes there are lists of people who are in some sort of financial distress that people market to in real estate, right? They buy a list of people who've recently been divorced or had a death in the family. And I always have abhorred that type of marketing because of the way that it's done. The truth is, statistically, these people are very likely to sell their homes. That's why they're marketed to. But it doesn't mean that you have to feel like a villain doing it. And it doesn't mean that you have to come in with the intention of robbing them of talking them into taking less money than their property is worth. That's not necessarily the goal. And just because you're out to make a profit does not mean that you are a heartless, money-hungry, greedy person. The other final real estate villain, we've talked about the salesman, the pesky salesman. We've talked about the slumlord. We've talked about the money-hungry, greedy person. The the last one is the all-out crook. Because in every industry, there are criminals. And real estate being such a high-ticket, high-dollar business attracts the best of the criminals. If you've never watched 
that show American Greed, you can see that a lot of the scams out there have to do with real estate. It's a very fraudulent industry. There are a lot of bad guys. And a lot of that came out over the last 20 years or so as we had various mortgage crises, who the bad guys were. And they're not all criminals, or at least they're not all persecuted criminals. Some of them, in my mind, were the banks themselves that were the bad guys because they were really just very heartless and mishandled a lot of people's homes. And many, many of you listening have been a victim of that type of tactic. I think today the banks have really come a long way in how they handle and deal with people who get behind on their mortgage or who go through foreclosure. But back in 2008, it was a whole different ballgame. So one story I'd like to share, back in 2008, 9, 10, I used to help people who were in financial difficulty with their property, right? The economy collapsed along with the mortgage industry, and a lot of people couldn't make their mortgage payments. There was these loans called, we called them liar's loans or negative amortization loans, where you would come in and you could say you made any amount of money you wanted. They just believed you. And then they would give you a loan with a really small upfront payment and interest only upfront payment. And then several years into the loan, it would reset and your payment would triple or even quadruple. And of course, since you had lied about your income in the first place, you couldn't afford this loan. All of this was created based on the idea that property value would always go up and that the equity was going up so fast, everybody would just be able to refinance their house before this reset happened. So when the property values did not go up and the market went down, everything blew up. And in that time, and I'm sure many, many of you listening remember that time, a lot of people were faced with a couple of choices. They could choose to let the bank take their property, which is a foreclosure. They could choose to do what's called a short sale. And that's when you owe more than your house is worth and you have to let it go at a loss and the bank agrees to forgive the difference. And that's a short sale where you could try to modify your loan and get the bank to give you new loan terms with a payment that you could afford, maybe extending the length of your loan to make it more affordable. I, like many real estate agents at the time, went out and got certified in short sales, certified distressed property expert. That was the certification that I got and many agents of that era got. And in that training, it taught us all the ins and outs of that process. And we were really taught to market to get short sales because in a short sale, we could still get paid a full commission on the property. But I had a background at the time in loans. I had been doing loans. I was a licensed loan officer. And so we had also in my office started helping people do loan modifications. So we were helping them work with the bank to renegotiate and actually keep their home. So I was a terrible marketer of short sales because I would go to people's homes and I would ask them, do you want to sell your house? I mean, I understand you're in foreclosure. I understand you're in financial trouble, but if you could keep it, would you want to keep it? And most of the time people said yes. So I wasn't getting the big short sale commissions that I could have been getting if I had told them your best option is a short sale. But because I understood loans and I knew how to make the bank work with people. And to be clear, These are people that could afford to keep their home if only they had a little bit of help, if they got a little bit of a break. There were plenty of people who really could not. They bought homes they just could not afford, and there was no circumstance in which they were going to afford it. And in that case, 
a short sale really was the best option. But for those who just needed a few months to catch up, they just needed that past due balance to be spread out over a few years. They just needed a little bit better monthly payment. We would do what's called loan modifications. And there was a lot of scams at that time. Going back to our our story about the criminals and the crooks, there were so many scams. This was 2008. So there was still a lot of people listening to the radio back then. And there would be these ads on the radio, especially in our, our area, it was Spanish speaking radio stations in particular. And they would offer the moon and the stars. We're going to do this loan modification for you. All you have to do is pay us up front five, $6,000, and we're going to negotiate on your behalf. We're going to sue the bank. We're going to get these banks to pay. And people bought into it. And then these companies just wouldn't do anything. I met with people who'd paid anywhere from four to $7,000 to these companies who did absolutely nothing with their loan. And in some cases, I did loan modifications for no money. I once did a loan modification for tamales. (laughs) I've done loan modifications for very little money. And and right away, the government kind of caught up with these scams and they passed legislation that said that you can't do loan modifications for upfront money. You have to get paid at the end when you successfully modify somebody's property. And there was a lot of rules around that. And so I started doing loan modifications for nothing until and if I got them approved and then I would get paid at the end. And for a couple of years, that was how I paid my bills because the market was so slow. It was difficult times for everybody. But the crooks were out there. The crooks were out there. And then the the actual criminals on the streets weren't the only ones. It was also the banks themselves. Like I said, they used to be very heartless. I remember I worked with a senior couple. One of them was fully retired. The other one was semi-retired. They both worked for the school district. They had their retirement pensions, which wasn't very much. They owned a really modest house. It was a small two-bedroom, one-bath house that didn't even have central heat. And they gotten behind on their payments, not by a lot. These aren't people who went and took cash out and bought boats and went on vacations when their property was worth more. They just had a regular little mortgage and they had gotten into an AGM loan and the payments went up and they couldn't afford it. And they were on the brink of foreclosure by the time I came around. I think they had also paid one of these scam artists some money that hadn't done anything with their loan, but it was a few years ago. I might not remember that correctly, but they were very humble people and they were already so far into foreclosure. It was a real struggle for me to try and stop it. And what we would do is we would submit the application for the loan modification. And that was supposed to freeze foreclosure activity until the bank made a decision. But what the bank would do is they would mess around and say, that we hadn't turned in all the paperwork even when we had. And anybody who remembers these days will be raising a fist for these moments because so many people went through this where they would tell you, oh, we didn't get it. Oh, you sent it to the wrong fax number. Oh, you need to send it again. Oh, we're missing that page. We're missing this page. So we're going to proceed with the foreclosure because your application is not complete. And this was this thing that went on before there was legislation and regulation to prevent it. So I remember this one day sitting in my office, the sale date for this couple's home to be auctioned off in a foreclosure auction was the next day. And they're calling me in tears because they're going to lose their house and have to move out. They're freaking out. They don't have anywhere to go. And I'm on the phone with this banker and I said, listen, I've sent you everything. I sent you everything that you've asked for. We just need them to review the application and call it submitted so we can postpone this auction date while it's being reviewed. 
And the guy was just like, I could hear him in the background talking to other people in the call center. I could hear people laughing. And I, I just got so angry. And I was like, you know, don't you have a heart? Are you heartless? And he laughed and he said, you think the banks have a heart? <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And I went on to help a lot of people out of foreclosure. A lot of people kept their homes because of my help. And I'm really proud of that. And several years later in 2015, I was telling a friend of mine this story and he was teaching writing and marketing and how to tell your story. And he told me, he said, you need to stop just telling one person the story. You need to tell everybody the story. He goes, how many people that you're working with, and this is in 2015, are people who you helped back during the mortgage crisis keep their homes? And I looked at my business in 2015, and it was something like 80% of my clients had been referred through people who I'd helped back during the mortgage crisis. And that just set the tone for me of the kind of businesswoman I want to be, the kind of real estate agent I wanted to be. And now I'm going to apply that to the kind of investor I want to be. There's other, other story. I could tell you so many stories of times I've seen real estate professionals taking advantage of clients. One of my pet peeves is just real simple, bad marketing, right? And people hire their uncle, their cousin, who's got a real estate license. They hire their friend who's got a real estate license. Doesn't necessarily mean that person's bad or good, but when you hire somebody to sell your home, they should have a marketing plan. I mean, that's pretty basic. Photography should be included. That's what I feel. If you're selling even a $500,000 house, your commission could potentially be as much as $15,000. You cannot tell me that you can't afford a professional photographer. So when I see somebody with a cell phone, dark cell phone photos, cluttered homes, dishes in the sink, my, my, one of my pet peeves is when they don't close the lid of the toilet. Like no one wants to look at an open toilet bowl in their marketing photos. I would see people who took cell phone photos and they would post them on the MLS sideways, like a sideways photo. Are you kidding me? So there's all sorts of things that are bad in the real estate industry. Like any other industry, there are crooks, there are criminals. And we are not out to be a part of that. And investy besties, we follow the motto, like the medical professionals, do no harm, do no harm. We are looking for the win-win situation. And yes, as an investor, you might come across situations where there is an ethical question. You may have to ask yourself, am I comfortable with this? Is this the right solution? Is this win-win-win for everybody? Or is this going to bother me if I go forward? And I really encourage my students to make those decisions carefully to take the time to weigh what feels right for them. I have a client, you know, just talking about being a landlord, he bought a multi-unit building a few years ago. And uh, one of the units was vacant and could get a good market rent. A couple of the units were already occupied, but they were getting pretty close to market rent. And one of the units was uh, occupied by a disabled veteran who'd been in the property for like 25 years. And this was in a city with rent control. So his rent was like less than half of what the going market rate would be. It was just a few hundred dollars. And I remember going with my client and I told my client, listen, I don't do hardcore evictions. In gentrified cities, there are agents that specialize in that. Okay, we'll put them in the group with the villains, in my opinion. But I don't do that. I don't displace people with no compensation. I just choose not to be a part of that kind of real estate 
And at the time that this was happening with this building, I had just seen this agent offering to do as a lead magnet. He was doing free seminars on how to get rid of low paying tenants, below market rate tenants, which that kind of thing makes personally makes me sick. Now, as a landlord, it's a business. You have to make a profit. So my advice to avoid that situation is to be careful what you buy, right? Don't be that landlord that looks for a property full of low paying tenants and then goes about sneaky, crafty ways of harassing them into leaving and evicting them so that you can turn around and double the rents and make a killing. I would just rather find a property that's vacant or find a property with full pay tenants or be very responsible about relocating the tenants that need to be relocated. But going back to the story, here's this veteran. He's in a wheelchair. He's missing a leg. He's probably in his 80s. And I remember after we spoke with him, he was just so nervous. And I stepped outside with my client and we had a little talk and he just goes, I'm not going to displace this guy. He's like, I'm not even going to raise his rent. And he goes, in fact, I'm just going to come in and fix up his unit and, uh, and thank him for his service. So that's what we did. We went back in the house. My, my client told the tenant that we were going to let him stay at his current rent and we were going to repair the kitchen. And he just broke down in tears. He just cried. And I always remember these moments. And now as I am teaching investing, just recently somebody asked me if we displace seniors, if we, if I teach that kind of hard tactic. And the answer is no. So if you're looking for the real blood in the water, the sharks are circling, get that money class, my class is not for you. Investy besties do no harm and we are guided by our ethics. And I think that as we learn more and more about real estate investing together, that you will see that we can create a win-win-win. Yes, off-market properties, which are people who don't sell them on the MLS, it's kind of like wholesale, right? If you go to the mall and you open a clothing store, you are not going to buy the clothes for that clothing store at the store next door. You're not going to go to the store next door and pay full price and then turn around and try and make money on those clothes when they could just go buy it next door for the same price, right? If you're a pro, if you're a real estate investing pro, you don't want to be retail. You want to be wholesale. You want to get property for below market value. And unfortunately, there is no wholesale market like there is for retail goods. There is no store where you can go and buy below market homes. So what we do is we do find ways of reaching people who are what we call distressed sellers, people who need to sell quickly for a specific reason people who do not want to deal with real estate agents because of their negative reputation, people who are relocating, people who have recently lost someone and they don't have time to remodel their home and get top dollar for it on the open market. They don't have time to sell it at full retail value for whatever reason. There's so many reasons why people sell their property off market. And as real estate investors, we do look for those deals, but we do them with a conscience. We do that with our ethics intact. If I speak to a distressed seller and they're like, I need to sell within three months and I need to get X amount of money for my property. And I know that an investor is not going to give them that price. And I think that they could get more money if they put their property on the market and sell it as a regular full retail sale, even without fixing it up. I will tell them that. I don't hide that information from the people that I talk to. And I think that's the big difference between the kind of greed-driven, heartless villain image that people have of real estate investors. The truth is, a lot of times we're here to help. 
a lot of times people are like, you know, my mom needs this surgery. My kid needs this special treatment. I need cash and I need it now. And I don't have time to do all the work that this property needs. Guess what? Here we are with a quick cash offer for your property. As a, a landlord, you buy a building and you can choose to be the opposite of a slumlord. You can choose to rent to that young single mom who maybe hasn't built her credit up all the way yet, but desperately needs a place to live. You can choose to be gracious when someone gets injured or loses their job and can't pay their rent for a month. You can choose to come in and buy a property that the previous owner let get completely run down. And you can come in and restore a better quality of life for those tenants. I think that we need more good landlords in this world. We need more good real estate investors in this world. That is what is going to heal the wounds of the real estate industry. And coming soon, the market is going to go down again. You know, we're going to see it cycle. That's what happens. It goes up and it goes down. So coming soon, we're going to see it go down again. And when that happens, it's what they call blood in the water. It's when the sharks come out. They start circling because they smell prey. And I just want to encourage you, all of you listening who are thinking about getting into real estate and maybe hesitate because of some of the stuff I've talked about in this episode, I just want to encourage you to be the white knight, to be the white queen (laughs) and put on your white hat and go out there and be an ethical real estate investor. You can make a profit from doing good. I built my business on that backbone and it has served me very, very well. And I know it will continue to do so. So if you're ready to learn about real estate investing from a standpoint of do no harm and creating win-win situations and really helping people while making money, please check out investibesties.com. That's my course. We're opening up another round in June and I would love to have you join me. See you in the next one. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear listeners for being with me today. If you love the show, please show support for our growth by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. You can find me on social media on most platforms by searching my name, Remy Fortier, that's F-O-R-T-I-E-R, or you can join our free Facebook group, The Life We Deserve, Inspired and Wildly Successful, where I drop free trainings and keep you posted on whatever we're working on. As always, thank you for joining in our mission to normalize women building wealth.